Wardcast episode 185, go! I'm Dylan Alvento, and today I'm joined by Dante Douglas, writer and designer. How are you doing, Dante? Hi, uh, I'm doing great. How are you, Dylan? <laughs> I am good. I am excited to start having more guests on the podcast, and you are kind of the first in that chain. I'm excited to be the test case for people talking on your podcast uh, over the internet. Again. Yeah. <laughs> so what have you been up to? We, 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 we ran into each other at GDC. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, yeah, we, we ran into each other at GDC, uh, talked at a party as you do with people at GDC, uh, my name's Dante. I, I write things. I design things, as Dylan said. Uh, but um, uh, these days, yeah, I've, I, um, I'm a freelance writer. When I was down at GDC, I was doing a lot of freelance reporting and, and writing and that sort of thing. So I was looking at video games and also at GDC as an event. I did some stuff for Waypoint and Polygon and Paste while I was down there. Um, but, uh, since GDC, I'm actually like into kind of a lax period, which I am thoroughly enjoying of just doing some contract work and like quieter stuff. So I'm not worrying about deadlines quite as much. Um, uh, yeah. And also I am the, one of the editors in chief of a website called deorbital.media. Uh, and that's the website also it's deorbital.media. Uh, it's a game criticism website focused on, uh, kind of highlighting underrepresented marginalized voices in games criticism. We just launched our last quarterly, uh, our spring quarterly, uh, which includes five articles plus some custom art that we commissioned. Uh, so very proud of that. That like just went up like uh, it's the 12th. It went up like four days ago. Um, so still kind of in the hype cycle mode for, uh, for deorbital. But, um, yeah, so, uh, since GDC, that was like my major project and now that's done. And now I'm like, okay, I'm coasting for a bit. Like I could just like do whatever I want. Uh, maybe like make a video game. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> yeah, man. Sky's the limit. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, happy to be on here and talking about whatever we end up talking about. <laughs> yeah. Happy to have you on. I mean, there's so many, there's so many different things that we could, we could graph onto with, with what you listed. Yeah, I suppose so. The, the problem, yeah. The, I mean, you were saying this before we started recording that like, how do you want to be introduced? I'm like, God, I don't fucking know. I do, <laughs> I do too much. I do too much shit right, the, right now. Like I'm, uh, like these days, I think the last thing that I did chronologically in my life is I released a a uh, mission for a tabletop game because I was like, oh, this sounds fun. I did this. I did this. Uh, it was a tabletop game called The Sprawl. I used to play a campaign with some friends and we would do missions. I'm like, hey, I have all these notes from these missions. I could just turn them into a mission that other people could play. And so I've been like, that's just been kind of a side project I've been doing is like, now nah, I'll just type this up, turn this into a thing that other people can do. You know, it's fun. Um, so weirdly, like that's the last like design thing I did. But um, yeah, yeah, I do. I do a bunch of weird shit. So I, I don't know exactly what you wanted to touch on, but we can talk about a lot of stuff. Well, I think I think it'd be interesting to just kind of talk a little meta from that perspective. Like, how do you kind of balance those two different, sometimes disparate, sometimes extremely similar fields of interest in your head? Because I, I know I always have a, a weird time with that, with like balancing podcast with with game dev stuff. Yeah, no, I think, I, I mean, yeah, you you probably have, like, a, a similar feel on this because, like, if you view podcasting as, like, a type of journalism, right, like, a type of, like, uh, outside-looking-in material, right, 
Um, I, I kind of view the same thing whenever I'm doing like freelance writing and it's, it's, it's tough sometimes because I started in video games, like big quote unquote there as like, uh, with like local game development scenes. And so like, that's kind of always where my heart's been. And it's always been like, uh, like when I went to college, my first thought was like, I don't want to write about video games. I want to make video games because I'm coming out of high school and loving video games and that's what kids do um but so so for me like i don't know i i usually at least for a long time i like resisted the term journalist because i'm like i'm not a journalist i'm a critic not because i dislike journalism but because i'm like that's where i come from i come from criticism and design angles not from like interviewing angles or whatever you know um that's not strictly the case anymore because I, you know, interview people and I do, <laughs> I do journalism stuff. You fell into the trap. I fell into the fucking trap. Is the thing um, because it's also like it's easier to do that than to like write fourteen hundred word critical essays all the time. Right. Um, uh, those are very important, but they're very hard to just pump out on a weekly basis. So uh, yeah, no, for me it was just like I try to approach this stuff as kind of design work. Like if I'm writing about games i like to zero in on like things about the actual game design that interests me um and kind of use that to like bolster my development uh as much as my development bolsters my understanding of um of how to talk about and to video game developers um and also it just means that like by and large my interest in video games has to do with like highly authorial works like indie games small indie games especially are just always like kind of my they're my bread and butter in terms of what i like to report on but also my bread and butter in terms of like games that interest me on a design level because i think there's a really interesting thing that happens with smaller indie games where the intention of the designer is a lot more um visible yeah you see you see more of that authorial intent yeah yeah, you see more of the authorial intent and you you're able to like engage with that authorial intent in a very interesting way. Like um uh a, a, a an acquaintance of mine who also makes games is Heather Flowers and she does like very small I don't know if you're familiar with her work but she did a game last year. Is it Super no, Meat no, no. Punks? Yeah, yeah, Super or Extreme Meat Punks. Extreme, Extreme Meat, Punks. Meat Punks Forever, uh which is which was a game I think done by her and like a couple other collaborators, but it was very much like when you have games like this that are created by small teams, they can kind of, yeah, they can let the authorial intent come through in a way that is so much more direct than, than AAA games. And I just think that's, that's a very powerful, um, it's a very powerful thing in games. Uh, it's always something that's interested me, uh, uh, whether as a designer or as a, as like someone writing about games. A big game that was a takeaway for me from PAX East was, um, Christine loves new game getting the car loser. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of like you were saying with with um, Heather Flowers game. I, I haven't played Extreme Meat Punks yet, but with getting the car loser, I was like, this is only something someone with like very specific and dedicated like mindset and like I know exactly what I want to create and here it is. Yeah, I think I, I mean Christine Christine Love is one of those like incredible designers where like she has she has that she has right right this like very like uh forward and like 
I don't know, cohesive design uh, idea. And she's also like a really good systemic designer. So it like, she has yeah, uh, Christine Love is a powerhouse. We all kind of know this, but like, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. it's uh, yeah. Getting the card loser looks really fascinating for, for those same reasons, because I think it's drawing from like uh, her last big game was lady killer in a bind, which came out uh, like two years ago now, I think like something like that. 17, I think I knew it was like up for, gdc awards in 2017 so oh, but those things get so scattershot because like yeah, Bob was you was all last year yeah and i was like exactly oh, and I'm you. Like, yeah but nobody knew about it last right. year <laughs> well no, anyway. no one no one knew about it this year which cracked yes. me up because like all this press was like oh this sleeper hit i was like I, well, i'm not yeah, gonna say you're behind the curve <laughs> because i was behind the curve last year I because i had designer friends that knew about it before i knew well, about it but to be clear it wasn't out until this year right it was right, like exactly out, yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. weird thing yes yeah that's the weird thing. But yes, uh, anyway, Christine's last game was this this like ridiculous systemic visual novel powerhouse thing uh, called Lady Killer in a Bind. And you can tell like the bones of that informed Getting the Car Loser, but Getting the Car Loser is such a strongly different game. It's like a, it's a JRPG where you drive around in a car and you do JRPG battles, which is just not in <laughs> Lady Killer in a Bind at all. Right. Um, uh, but yes, but I think there there's a similar thread of like, having a very cohesive design idea and just like being able to iterate on that in a way that like furthers your design goal uh, instead of getting caught up in, in kind of side tangents or like losing sight of the ultimate goal there, which I think is just something that it's just easier to do. If you have a small team, like there's no way around it. Like (laughs) you don't have to convince a dozen people of the right thing to do. You just have to convince two or three people. Taking a step back a second, I thought there's something interesting that you said about like not being not considering yourself press like previously before you got into like the, the interview mindset. And, and I, I do that as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I still very much don't consider myself press like you if you want to put like the media hat on me or content creator. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. What, right. <laughs> what, whatever phrase like it's specifically for the podcast stuff or the stuff I do for like the PAX panels and stuff like I'll take that. But uh, I will I will never <laughs> be like I'm press. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's a anyway. Sorry, keep keep talking. <laughs> no, 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 I mean that that was my point. Is that I I really I I feel that sentiment. Like until until I have a byline somewhere, I then I'll <laughs> accept accept the the idea well, that I impress. Yeah, and I mean it's weird because like I do have bylines at places like I super do, but then I also like think about like the first time like I went to my first like press event like this year, and I went to two of them this year, which is, which is just like weird to me because like I've never gone to a press event like I, it was the um i went to the anthem uh like press screener before that game came out which is also a lot <laughs> but like it was just weird because i was like oh i feel like press for the first time ever in my three or four years writing about video games was there coffee <laughs> there was coffee and there was yeah, like there free food and stuff and i'm yeah. like wow i've never been to something like this and then they like let you play anthem for like six hours so you know it's a mixed <laughs> bag <laughs> uh but yeah i think i think there's I, it's a thing that I that I think about a lot these days because I am frankly not sure if video games is big enough to support both a press and a dev uh, like ecosystem that are completely disparate because I don't think that they ever really can be like I think there's this kind of illusion especially among like consumers of video game media not like games necessarily but like people who read game news websites that like oh there's a right and a wrong way to like do press and 
the right way is you don't ever make friends with developers. And like in my anecdotal experience, it's like that that's impossible. That's impossible. It's just impossible because yes. there aren't that many people. <laughs> like you're going to end up talking to someone who has made or is making a video game at some point in your life. Right. And also <laughs> like people jump jump across the the line so oh, much. Oh yeah, like, completely. You see, you see press people become like community managers or like um uh, uh, just communications people over <laughs> in the game side all the time. So it's like you know where, where where does that line does that line constantly get redrawn like what you can't do anything about you it. really can't and, and to be clear like it also goes the other way like uh uh what's his name uh at kotaku tim rogers who made video ball is right. now at kotaku <laughs> so it's like yeah these 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 are not as like firm lines as people think they are um and it's weird because i feel like i kind of have to interact with that division a lot because I both make games that are occasionally reported on and also because I write things about video games, um, thus making me someone who also kind of makes certain decisions about what games get press coverage, um, which is just, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. It's a, it's a very weird uh, ecosystem, video games. <laughs> so not being someone that like pays a a lot of attention to like uh press or mm-hmm. criticism in other media or film or music yeah. or anything does that and i don't know if you if you see that or exist in those spheres either but like do you, i wonder if like that like blurring of the lines is as heavily seen in those other other industries yeah i mean i wouldn't know honestly like i i have no I have no idea. I the weird thing about it is like I am a very I'm a very video game minded person in the sense that like I have room in my life to like pay attention to one media form to this to this degree and it's games. And I'm like, all right, so like I'm just I'm just like lightly swearing off like yeah, I watch movies and I read books and stuff, but like I'm not uh I'm not as I'm not nearly as tuned into like other media spheres because also again, like I kind of at the end of the day i don't view myself as like a media person i view myself as a designer and like i just happen to be doing media right now um i'm just curious if there's like a if if like the issue the quote-unquote issue of like this blurring the lines is specific to this industry or specific to this consumer base that they feel (laughs) like it's it's such an issue man i don't know like maybe like i kind of i i feel like so much of like video games as like a broad thing is like chasing after Hollywood in a way. And like, I don't actually know if it's chasing after a real Hollywood. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if this like presumed idea of like, ah, the, the critics should never make games and the games uh, developers should never be critics. Like, I don't know if that's actually real, if that's based on like the way that film criticism works, or if it's just like a fucking made up idea that like people want to be real so that there's no quote unquote bias or whatever. Like I legitimately don't know. (laughs) Um, I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. But like, ultimately I just feel like it's like, I feel like it's kind of a meaningless distinction. Like at some point it's like, well, if you accept the fact that anyone writing about a game is going to be writing subjectively and with their own biases, then like suddenly all of that doesn't matter. (laughs) Cause suddenly you're just like, yeah, I get it. This person believes this, and this other person believes something different. Who cares? Um, Which I think we've made like huge strides in that, right? Like yeah. from like treating review scores or reviews in general mm-hmm. as this sort of like super objective thing to yeah. getting pretty far away from that. Yeah, which I think is which I think is really fascinating. I think there is definitely like a like a movement. I mean, this was the thing that happened in the early two thousands with the with the new games journalism concept, right? Where it was like 
uh, a bunch of writers were like, hey, why have we been writing all of our video game reviews like we're reviewing a refrigerator? Let's just talk about how my experience was playing this game and like what I thought about it and like what how it made me think about other things in life. And that was like new games journalism and it was big and fancy and new. Um, and that kind of became the new template, which I think is a much better template than like review. You know how like, ga- like game magazines in the nineties would have like, Oh, this game got like a, you, you have like five categories, like sound X factor gameplay, <laughs> uh, fucking replayability. And it's like all this shit that like, none of this matters. Like games are going to like a game that scores zero in replayability might still be a very good video game. Yeah. <laughs> Most games I play are not very replayable. Yeah, that's not really my goal with with games. Um uh yeah, that that's a that's a that's a thing that I always like to think about is like, man, yeah. Game the world of like games adjacent media is still super weird, but man, it used to be weirder. Like Yeah. <laughs> we talk about how like we we try to chase chase Hollywood and I feel mm-hmm. like like the other half of that is is also like our uh kind of dna partially being trapped in silicon valley right yeah. so it's very tech yeah. oriented this very like analytical mind this this specific type of design where it designed for a mechanical purpose mm-hmm. well and i think it's like a sort of uh insecurity right it's like oh like games have been like there was a time period and i maybe we're still kind of in that where like the mainstream viewpoint of video games is like they're nothing toys for babies and like I don't think we're really there anymore, but I think that's so warped like the gaming psyche for so long that like people like got really, really invested in like, no, we're not. We're super mature and cool like Hollywood, you know, we're like movies. <laughs> um, and, oh, we're like, sunglasses indoors. Yeah, we're Respect sunglasses me. indoors. All of our games are about fucking now. And I'm like, and like all this is like, you know, that, like that's fine, but like you don't have to be insecure about it. You could just like, we can just make video games, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which is, yeah, I, I, part of the reason why I like video games so much as like a cultural format is just because I think it's so new and so weird. And like, it's not a lot of the things about it are just still not codified. Like we don't, the, the concept of like a video game canon is just not really something that exists. We have like right. certain games that people generally view as being part of that. But if you talk to like any person, they'd probably have a wildly different viewpoint of like what makes video game. What like what is the video game canon? What are the good ones from all time? You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, or if you even look at it from like a genre to genre basis. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You, like from an outside observer, just observing how like Battle Royale as a genre has evolved yes. in like two years less than two years it's a (laughs) fascinating thing i think i think that when i when i think about games too i feel like yeah like i think that there it's almost more interesting to look at video games as a collection of genres that could each theoretically have their own canon right like like you could have like what are the fps games what are the battle royale games what are the fucking puzzle games or whatever right like you could probably have an entire canon of like every good match three game (laughs) like like i'm sure that there are enough of those that you could be like well these are the important ones and here's why um uh even though that's like a genre that like i'm not very familiar with but like i'm sure that there are yeah people who for whom that is their shit and like that's all they're into um 
so yeah i mean yeah game, game games is big believe it or not <laughs> <laughs> games be big games be big <laughs> there's a whole bunch of them <laughs> Uh, like i don't know it was like a couple of weeks ago where i was just talking to a friend about like man it's fucking weird like you could just play video games like forever like there's so fucking many video games <laughs> so many games that i have purchased and yeah. then like and forgot about <laughs> and then just oh, completely forgot about them still yeah. own this exactly exactly and i think i think that's what makes them so exciting to me is that like it's it's this weird young genre but also by virtue of the way that video games work you could kind of you could get lost in one genre for the rest of your life right now <laughs> like you like you fucking could and there are people who are just like oh i just all i play is madden right it's like the people this like hypothetical demographic that we know exists of like i buy an xbox 360 or i, I bought an xbox one so i could buy every new madden every year and like i'm sure that person honestly has some opinions on madden like i, I bet, bet if you ask them like yo what are the good maddens and what are the ones that you didn't like they'd be like ah oh, this one this one yeah i it's i wonder i wonder if they could tell even just like intrinsically like when the frostbite engine change happens. oh my god yeah yeah and I, and I think there's this weird like other thing happening in games right now where like the gaming public is becoming slowly just just so fucking slowly like more aware of how game development processes work uh, right like um like the concept of your average layperson gamer knowing a gamer if you will uh knowing like what what a game engine is and like how generally how they function even if they're probably wrong about that like you can look at the ways that like unity has this bizarre like bad reputation even if like yeah most developers that you talk to would be like yeah it's a good starter engine it's free <laughs> like <I'm wondering laughs> it's really good for a free engine <laughs> it's free and if you don't want to learn c i would recommend absolutely <laughs> being Just someone that. that was taught on java i i ran into someone at uh gdc who made their entire game they were like oh i just downloaded this um this like drag and drop programming app for for unity and i made my entire game in it i'm like this that's wild to me this looks like a real ass video game and he was like yeah a lot of my friends were like i bet you couldn't do it and that you'd end up like having to write some code and he's like no i didn't write any code i made this entire game using drag and drop and i I wish i could tell you what game it was right now but it was it was something in the mega booth but it was uh it was just fascinating to me because i was like oh damn like people can do that like this person does not know how to code and yet they made a game that looks I didn't play it, but it looked very like competent. It looked like a video game. Like um and that's really fascinating. Like that's a very cool thing. Yeah, I, I mean like I was uh I was talking to Jay Tholen um mm-hmm. of Hypnospace fame. Oh yeah, Hypnospace, yeah. At at uh PAC or not PAX at uh GDC and yeah, he was like, Yeah, we did it in Construct too, and I'm like, Yeah, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. And he's told me that in the past, but still every time he tells me, I'm just kinda like flabbergasted. Construct two is is a surprisingly popular engine. I have a I also I have a friend uh who's making uh this game called Pepper Grinder, which is also in Construct Two, which is really wild to me. But yeah, I I was a when I when I make two D games, I make them all a game maker. So I was never I never did the construct stuff. But um, but yeah, construct is 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 pretty well. Uh, I don't know. It, people like it. People who make games that are two D tend to like it. Which is yeah, it's it's wild. Like it's wild to me how these engines, which are like cheap and or free, can just make like production quality video games these days. Uh, which is yeah, 
a very cool part of the modern video game landscape. Yeah, my buddy and uh, co-host of the show, Alex oh, Damrath, yeah. he uh, uh, he went to SCAD and he he he's like he's a UE person primarily, right. but he's yeah. most mostly blueprints. Yeah, so like very low <laughs> yeah. coding uh, for his game jam games, which is always impresses the hell out of me yeah one of these days i'd like to dive into unreal engine i've like i think i've like booted it up once but like i've never actually like messed around with it um uh when i was yeah it's funny when i was in college doing some like basic game design clashes we all did it in unity because i think at the time unreal cost money because unreal went free like somewhat recently i'm not sure about this yeah something like that i forget how the licensing works for I, yeah. I know now it's like based on revenue. I'm pretty sure. Right. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, it's like if you make under ten thousand, you don't have to pay them. But if you make over ten thousand, you have to pay like a certain cut or something. Unless you publish on the Epic Store, and then they wipe right. away that revenue. Which cut. is yeah, which is also wild. Yeah, Devious. Epic Store, huh? <laughs> um, yeah, I I am intrigued by that. I bought one game on it. I bought Hades. That's a good video game. Um, oh yeah, do you enjoy it? I I've the new spoken Superdime? to no one about it yet. I think it's extremely good, but I give that with a huge caveat of like, I love this type of roguelike. And I feel like if you don't love this type of roguelike, yeah, for context, uh, Hades is the new game by Supergiant. They did Bastion and Transistor and Pyre. Um, But unlike those games, this game is a roguelike. So there's there is narrative like there's characters you talk to, but that's all kind of between runs. I happen to love that type of roguelike very much. It's very like um, the first game I think that really hooked me in that way was Rogue Legacy. Like a, mm-hmm. whenever that game came out, God, God. Long, long time <laughs> like ago, now. 2014. Yeah, long time ago now. Something but yeah, like that. I, I just remember like just sitting in my room, and just playing that for fucking hours because it's it was a good like core loop. You like you did a run, you died, you brought back your gold, you bought new stuff, and then you tried again. <laughs> uh, Hades is very similar where it's like. You do a run, you pick up some treasure, you come back, you spend that treasure on new stuff, and then you try again, and you're like slowly getting better, or your character is slowly getting more like skilled or whatever. Um, also, it's super giant, so it looks and sounds just gorgeous. Like it's, they're 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 like art and sound teams are absolutely top notch, um, and it's it's very fun, uh, and it's Epic Store inc- exclusive, which is also weird. Uh, given that I, it was one of the first exclusives, I think. that and, Also, um, still hmm? technically early access? Yeah, yeah. That's the other thing, is it's like actively in development. So take that as you will. I think it's, it is very like playable. It is extremely playable right now. I have played a lot of it. <laughs> um, but they are like, they still have like a warning screen at the front, like, hey, at any time, your progress could be wiped. We don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, because like, yeah, we might need to put out a thing where it's, you, you gotta start from the beginning again. But uh, that has not happened to me yet, and that game is just very good. And I, I booted it back up recently to like see what had changed, and yeah, there's more stuff in it, as it turns out. <laughs> That's cool. Um, yeah. yeah, being some of the only the only two roguelikes I really enjoy are Rogue Legacy and Enter the Gungeon. Oh, yeah, you'd like this. It's good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you, you'd probably like this. I think I, I've talked to some friends about roguelikes, and I feel like there are effectively two camps of people who like roguelikes. Like, there's the people like me, where I like this sense of slow progression like a meta progression being involved right 
Uh, and then there are other people who are like, no, I don't want any meta progression. I want to start the entire game from scratch each time I die. And I want it to be very different. Uh, like, like, I guess like, like traditional rogue games. Um, but I am extremely of the meta progression side because I like to get better <laughs> over time. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. I'm the same. Cause like, um, some of the other, like, I'm not, I'm not a big FTL guy. And I never played much of it, but I never it never really sunk its its teeth into me or like uh, Nuclear Throne. I mean, Nuclear Throne has some sense of progression because there's character unlocks and stuff. Yeah, but it's but it's but it's mostly not right. Like, yeah, it's mostly you're just starting from level one each time. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I feel like um, it's funny because the one game that I can think of where I was on the complete other side was Into the Breach, where there's like very little meta progression in that game. Um, and you're basically just like each run is the same in the sense of like, yeah, you start from the beginning, you have no power ups, you have to get all your power ups during the run and almost nothing carries over. Uh, but I also played way too many hours of Into the Breach, so <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, um, this, despite not liking FTL, I do still want to give Into the Breach a chance. I have yet to touch it at all. Oh. I, think. I saw it at IGF <laughs> last year and I was like, oh, finally, like get a chance to get my hands on it. And was do you ever do you ever have this experience at IGF where you're like you want to try out a game and the person on the terminal is just playing it and playing it and playing <laughs> like all right this must be a pretty good game because they are not leaving the screen sounds cool <laughs> yeah and like you have to make the decision of like well I can either camp out behind them for like twenty more minutes or yeah. I can like go away and hope that come when I come back there's no one there like yeah it's uh, this is why <laughs> I love game conventions I super super do. I hate playing games at conventions because it's that because you get you get into that mode where it's like, oh, man, like either I have to like sacrifice the next half hour of my time just waiting to possibly get on this game or I can continue wandering around and like maybe run into someone I know or a game that has a free seat. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, That's uh, the weird thing about yeah. conventions now, right? It's like it's almost like the social aspect has taken over where it's like, oh, it's just time to, you know regroup up with all my friends and see how they're doing and then maybe play a game <laughs> yeah i mean i think i think it's also weird too because i uh so you, you go to a bunch of paxes right so you understand well, PAX. boy do i boy do you okay so my pax story is really funny to me because i went to pax in 2017 and it was really really fun and i had a bunch of fun whatever it was great it was also a very pax as in an adult in the industry big quotes on both of those is like it was a lot of like, I'm just here to hang out with my friends. I'm going to like see a couple games. Mostly I'm here to like see people who I haven't seen in a while. Um, but that was PAX in 2017. I also went to PAX in 2012 when I was recently out of high school and knew no one. So that time going to PAX was like, I'm going to stand in all the lines. I'm going to see all the games. I'm here to fucking be a gamer. And like, <laughs> uh, and like the the difference of those two times is always just so hilarious to me because yeah like i think if if you're going to these conventions not as like someone involved in the industry but just as like a fan your experience is so different like, yeah like i couldn't imagine what packs would be f for me now if i wasn't like doing something within the industry right yeah yeah because it because it'd be so different it'd be so different and i mean like different isn't necessarily bad it's just like yeah it's, it's a very weird it's a very weird difference um yeah uh, 
especially with the with the with the pax panels with the hidden gem stuff like mm-hmm. it's it, it it helps me like it, i, I kind of do this thing right right so i'll do my walk around and like find the games i want to showcase and then collect everyone else's uh games that they want to talk about on the panel and we'll i'll compile yeah. them together and then after we do the panel usually the day after or two days after i, I do another walk around yeah of and course try right? to talk to the devs that we yeah. showcase be like hey just want to say hi when no like you know how how did the panel did the panel help you at all did you get any traffic from it and yeah. most of them are like yeah 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 it's like we saw a lot <laughs> of people they mentioned the panel and that was really cool i'm like great um oh, yeah so but it also like it gives me opportunity to walk up and be like hey i want to talk more about your game because i mean we didn't get a chance to talk about it so like let's let's have that discussion now yeah going back a step you're talking about do orbital and we're talking about reporting versus criticism and how difficult it is to like constantly do criticism. And I mean, I know, like you said, do orbital kind of like your quarterly issues kind of have, uh, are smaller runs, right? You said like five, five or so, uh, uh writers yeah. this time around. Yeah. We, we shoot for six, but we had to like spread it out weird this time around. Uh, but yeah. And it's submission based, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, like we usually have like, yeah, we have like a, uh, an open pitch round, I guess, so to speak of like about a month where it's just like, Hey, uh, if you have some pitches, throw them our way. And then, me and Amr, who's the other editor, um, we'll just go through them one by one and, and uh, follow up with ones that we think are interesting and eventually just whittle it down to five or six. Uh, and then, you know, start the process of like, hey, all right, so we want to have this article. How soon can you have it to us? And then we work out deadlines and then we edit them and blah, blah, blah. And then theoretically, that is set up chronologically so that we can publish it about a month after we close pitching round um is what we shoot for uh so it's it's i mean it's work it's a fair amount of work but it's not that much work we're not doing like on a weekly basis or anything because of the structure we kind of have like two we have like one month of like work and then three months of not work (laughs) and like kind of slowly just boosting the last quarterly uh which you know worked okay um Durable is kind of weird because it has never had a stable funding apparatus. Uh, the quarterlies, the quarterly that we just launched, the spring quarterly, uh, was the third and final quarterly of this incarnation of Durable. <laughs> like it was it, because we ran a fundraiser and this is the amount of money we had. And with uh, Durable, always we were like, no, we want to like the money is going to the writers like the the vast majority of the money goes to the writers from that from that uh fundraising round um and so yeah we just like set a firm goal of like well we never want to like cut writer pay so the answer is we just run one fewer quarterly than we expected which is like all things considered not that big of a deal and like i said Jorbital's never had a stable funding apparatus. This is this is not unusual for us. Like we're just like, yeah, we'll run it until we're out of money, and then later on we'll try and get some more money. <laughs> um, uh, that's kind of how it's always worked. Um, uh, but yeah, and and I and the goal with Jorbital really is like that it can be a place where people who are want to get their name out there in like writing about video games can go to Deorbital and we'll have theoretically a lower barrier to entry and we'll pay better than a lot of places that people would normally throw their 
they're uh, they're writing onto. And theoretically, it's like, well, we'll have the cultural cachet so that if you say, hey, I wrote for Diorbital, someone will be like, oh, I've heard of Diorbital. <laughs> like, that's, that's the goal, really, <laughs> is that the people who write for us can then go to somewhere else and be like, hey, look, I have writing published. It's at Diorbital, that site everyone loves. Um, and, then, and then get a better, and then like get like more writing to be able to be pitched. Um, and I'm like really, really happy then always whenever I see like one of our writers somewhere else, because it's like, great, excellent. We did our job. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Like ev- even being that springboard kind of, kind of platform, I think that's, that's a great goal to have. Yeah. And I mean, like, to be clear, like, I also think the writing on Drew is very good, but it's also oh, of like, course. you know, it's, 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 we're, we're trying to serve the function of many different things. Um, and it's, it's weird. And it's because like the online games criticism space is so weird and complicated and doesn't pay well that we're just like, Hey, we're trying to be not complicated and pay well. <laughs> so, um, yeah. That, that's, those are good goals to have. Yeah. That's kind of our goal because I feel like for me, like when I, when I started writing about games was like back in 2014 or 15 when like the games critic blogosphere was still a thing where like people would like maintain blogs where they just write 1400 word essays about the design of like final fantasy nine or whatever the fuck. Um, and that really doesn't exist anymore. And a lot of it doesn't exist anymore because those people got hired, which is good. Um, but, but there's no new class to yeah, like come up behind exactly. them. They're, 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 the way that the internet works is just different than it was in like 2015. So we're trying to be a sort of remedy for that in the way that we can. Um, and also just like, I think game criticism is really important because again, it's like, I feel like if we care about this art form, then we should care about critiquing it and like, picking it apart and i don't mean critiquing it as like just dragging it down but like picking apart design choices you know like looking at things in greater context uh seeing like well how could have this been communicated more effectively how could this how was this game overlooked how was this game underlooked etc etc um so yeah like that that stuff is always just extremely important to me as like a person um and diorbital is like a way that we can help that be more uh more widely noticed well it's interesting how you talk about like critiquing design and how important that is yeah. for for games criticism because from my point of view i kind of i could i kind of rate everyone on this kind of sliding scale of like their their criticisms where they fall in more of an artistic or a, a mechanical yeah. design yeah criticism. No. no i feel that and um and when i personally like i you know i i almost in a lot of my dev circles stand alone in terms of like, no, it's like this art critique, like look at, you know, like, you know, Dialacina's piece about uh, criticizing the latest Tomb Raider game yeah. about like yeah, the yeah, yeah. indigenous peoples and the way they're portrayed in that game. Like, I think that's a great piece. No one else in my development circles would have read that piece. Not because like, not out of, out of anything malicious or anything like mm-hmm. that, but um, as, as the type of uh, mechanical designers that they are, that's not their focus right because because the artistic design is an end goal that you kind of intuit as a consumer is in a lot of ways not conscious in the uh in the development of the of the thing well yeah and i think that's i think 
I think you're right. I also think that like the games that people kind of hold up as like, um, I don't know, like artistic benchmarks. And I don't mean like visually artistic benchmarks. I mean like the games that people say are like, you know, important, like, uh, uh, like Bioshock, like the first Bioshock or like, um, uh, what was the fucking uh, last of us, like last of us, like all these games that like definitely, they are notable because they usually have a strong sense of like ludo narrative coherence, right? That like they're both mechanically and like artistically narratively working toward the same goal. Um, I think a thing that happens a lot in like small town dev circles, which I'm speaking very anecdotally from my experience in small town game dev circles is that, it's very easy to talk about mechanics um, if you like have a basic idea of what a good mechanic feels like. Um, it's harder to talk about good artistic vision because it's a lot more subjective. Um, I mean, like arguably good mechanics is also subjective, but like in video games, we have like certain tenets that we view as good and yeah. bad right like uh my there's favorite- a mainstream taste that's like accepted yeah yeah yeah. my favorite thing my favorite like game dev design term bullshit is um crunchy or juicy depending <laughs> on how i i love it because it's i mean like i love it because- i'm holding up my <laughs> i know my because- fingers as a gun to my temples for, <laughs> the, for the listeners it's it's hilarious because it it's not a universal term but everyone kind of knows what they mean when someone says like, Oh, that game has really crunchy feel or whatever. Right. Like they usually mean like, Oh, it's very reactive to the buttons that I press is like the simplest way I think about that. Um, but it's a lot harder to say like, Oh yeah, that game's got like sick fucking, uh, I don't know, character design. Like, I mean, like you can say that, but it's not the same. Um, and I think like in small town dev circles, there tends to be a focus on mechanical design because I think it's easier to teach someone good mechanical design than it is to teach someone how to write a good story through a game. <laughs> like, believe it or not, that's kind of hard. Right. So um, like Lewin narrative distance is still like kind of like a, a made fun of term. Even well, yeah, though, but like, it's a made it, fun of term because we applicable. all know it. Like it's because yeah. we all. I, yeah, I think Lewin narrative distance is one of my favorite things just because you're right like it became like a joke because of how it was overused in critic circles but it's like yeah but there was a reason it was overused which is that i think at the time because that kind of came about in like 2013 or 14 ish was when that term was kind of in vogue in my in my recollection but like literal narrative dissonance was an attempt to put words on a feeling that was really common, I think, in like AAA games where it was like, hey, uh, you're a cool hero, now kill 500 people and then don't kill the villain because that would make you worse than them. Like that sort of shit. Like that was ludonarrative dissonance. Um, I think where the term kind of lost its way was when people started using it as a value judgment because I don't think it should be a value judgment. It's just a statement of like, yeah, yeah, your your gameplay and your narrative are dissonant. That's not that doesn't mean anything in and of itself. That could be good, that could be bad. All the Final Fantasy games, I would argue, are extremely ludonarratively dissonant. The the things that happen in battles are generally not what the narrative says, right? Like, but that doesn't mean they're bad. It just means that, yeah, they're dissonant. Uh so what? Move on. 
Um, which is always like, it's, it's the, so what stage that gets hard because in order to answer that, so what question you have to get into actual like artistic criticism, you have to say like, all right, well, Bioshock or not Bioshock. Uh, my favorite literary narrative dissonance example is, is Tomb Raider is the first Tomb Raider, right? Uh, the, the first new Tomb Raider, the remake. The, yeah. Yeah. The 2013 one, which was the one where there's just all these scenes of like Lara just like fucking murdering dudes. And then she'll be like, oh, I hate killing. And it's like, yeah, but you just did it like a whole bunch. Um, that's but a like, whole lot of bodies. Lara. That's a whole lot of bodies. Lara. Like, I know what you're saying, but also, uh, but yeah, like I think, um, uh, that game's this really good example where it's like, okay, so we know this, what does this say about the game? And I think like the weird, quote unquote backlash to ludonarrative dissonance was saying like, all right, so let's just look at the game. Let's look at all the elements of the game and view that as a coherent narrative. What does that say? Because the coherent narrative of Tomb Raider is this woman gets brutalized into needing to kill a whole bunch of people, which I think is a more interesting way of looking at Tomb Raider than saying, ah, it's bad because she says she doesn't like killing, but then she does. It's like, that's not, that's not an interesting viewpoint <laughs> um and all of this is again like it's not a value judgment on the game it's just it's a way of looking at the game right well and then, and that's that's the kind of thing just because like games like rapidly evolve at such a high rate of speed and then mm-hmm. combine that with like we're still i mean like i said I, f- I feel like we've come a very long way with like games criticism in like a scant few years five yeah. to ten years yeah, yeah seriously and, yeah and it's but i still think it's difficult to kind of um tease out the difference between criticism as an art form criticism from like a design or consumer perspective and also just straight up taste yeah yeah well because i think i mean you're right but also i don't even know how you would differentiate those right because like if i'm writing a review of a video game where i'm like i didn't enjoy this video game but I know that XYZ parts of it are good, you know, like that's, I I feel like that's all you can do. It's like, you have to like sell, you have to somewhat delineate in your writing or your talks or your conversations about games. Like I didn't like this game, but I can appreciate what it did here, here, and here. Um, Well, that's the thing. It's like, I think they're like separate conversations, right? But we try to have all those conversations at the same time. Yes. I super agree. I think that's how you get a lot of people, uh, getting into arguments that are just like not really arguments they're just people like talking over one another where it's like okay like i don't know dark souls is my good example because i don't particularly like dark souls but i understand what it does well and i even like parts of its design a lot uh but i don't usually just get out there and be like i fucking hate dark souls because like the implication is like i hate all elements of dark souls design which is not true i just don't enjoy playing the games like um it's not the same thing really uh and as a listener i am then hearing that my my taste in dark souls is being invalidated exactly by the fact that you do not like dark souls (laughs) i also don't like dark souls but (laughs) well and i also feel like that's that's like almost even a bigger problem is like this you know hyper identification with your uh with the things you're interested in where it's like if i dante say i don't like this video game and you're like, wow, I do like this video game. Does that mean you hate me? And it's like, okay, that's a bad conversation. That's <laughs> not a that's not a productive conversation on almost any axis. Like, um, 
and that's i mean like that's also a problem but that's also just like a bigger problem that i don't know if that's like video games fault that's just a bad thing about the world (laughs) Um, it's also like like the age of of the medium and then also like yeah us 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 having these conversations now as opposed to us maybe should have having these conversations maybe a decade or two ago but having them now is better than having them a decade or two from now (laughs) exactly it's like well at least we're doing it here like it's not the best but we can do it (laughs) it'd be much more different if like everyone had like completely absorbed their identities with all of these Mm -hmm. like parts of the video game canon and then we tried to just you know kind of pull it uh, back apart yeah 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 defragment it not ideal yeah and i think i think like I mean, I just, I just like think that games are such this fascinating medium because they're such a weird synthesis of a lot of different things. And because of that, especially with like the fact that there is a player of a game, I think it like invites people to identify with games. Uh, like anytime you pick up a controller, you are kind of subconsciously like, aha, now I am playing the game. Now I am the most important person to this video game. Um, so, I mean, I think it, I think it breeds that sort of player entitlement. It's not really the right phrase, but like, you know, what I mean. um, yeah. And I, I, I think that it's what attracts me to video games. It's also what bugs me the most about video games is like this idea that like the player is the most important part of the game. Um, I'm kind of strongly not of that opinion. Uh, I feel like the player is a cool accessory to a thing that a designer made. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I like seeing it all, all different shapes and, and that's what I really enjoy about having kind of a broad palette of different games in AAA. The player is treated like the most yeah. important thing and in, indie sometimes they're not. And I think that's, that's really cool to experiment with that stuff. And then like I, I what you were saying earlier about kind of like, going back to games like the first Bioshock and how quickly that game went from like this very lauded piece of high stature of little narrative, like not dissonance, um, coherence, coherence or harmony. (laughs) Yeah. And how I remember like listening to old, like joystick podcast episodes and they're like talking about like, Oh yeah. So it like, it, it, it observes objectivism in this great way. And it's all this fascinating stuff. And it like, kind of like tears all that philosophy down. I'm like, sweet, great. Like young high school student. Sure. Let's, let's check it out. And then you, you play it and you're like, and I played it like a couple years removed and I'm like the, the objectivism in here. That's like the big critique. I mean, it's there. Sure. But it's, it's like the set dressing. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I'm still, I think, a Bioshock One apologist. Like, I still really <laughs> like that game, but like, but I, I, I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. but I, I definitely feel like I would almost say it's kind of a, a side effect of games being relatively young. That like the concept of AAA video games that like engage with ideology is still so surprising to us that like I think when when Bioshock One first came out, it was just like I've never even seen it i've never seen those words used in a video game like i think that was a part of it was just like the shock and awe of like what you said what in this video game blah and then like i don't think things have gotten much better but i think they've gotten a little better i feel like if 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 a game like bioshock one were to come out today like from a similarly like prestige developer it would be taken fairly well but it, it people would just be like yeah but i mean we've seen this now 
Like it's not, it's not as fresh and shiny. Um, I would also say like the actual strengths of Bioshock one are like, Oh, the narrative is about fucking with the player's agency, which I think is yes. far more interesting than like the yes. objectivism stuff. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah like, like like objectivism is the setting. It's the, it, yeah, the, it very the much is theming around it, and then free will is the actual theme of the narrative, which is like a much. Yeah. And I guess you could argue like those things obviously feed into one another. Like there's there's this idea of like the individual and that the power of the individual in the game basically saying like, haha, no, <laughs> like, um, you actually don't matter. <laughs> um uh and i i still appreciate that because again it was very much for me i i played it a couple years removed but i just remember when i played it like that moment just still hit me the the fucking uh a man would you kind- slave yeah, obeys. Yeah. yeah the would you kindly stuff and then man chose like all that stuff still just like really hit me at the time and i was like wow i've never seen this in a video game um and you can still do that really effectively. Like uh, Delta Rune does that at the beginning. Yes. I don't know if you played Delta Rune. I have. I super agree. At the very beginning, it's like, all right, make your character. I was like, all right, made your character. And like, yep, doesn't matter. I'm like, ah, Toby, you got me. <laughs> you well, got yeah. me. I, I think Undertale is is a beautiful like like Delta Rune's cool, but obviously we don't really know what Delta Rune's gonna look like. It might not ever be finished. It might not ever be finished. Undertale, I think, is this really fascinating example of fucking with player agency. Except Undertale does it in this totally different way of like just remembering things you didn't expect it to remember is kind of the whole thing about undertale that makes it so like groundbreakingly interesting to play um and i I mean yeah i think that is kind of in the same mode as as bioshock telling you like haha everything you did was because i told you to idiot you 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 just like playing video games. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> just play with baby toys. We're yeah, up here. With baby toys, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I I I am very curious if uh, Delta Rune, you know, follows up on those those tenets of of fucking with player agency. And so far, it looks like it will. So I'm also I'm I'm on board with anything that Toby Fox makes at this point, as is yeah. half of the planet. So <laughs> I'm not really, I'm not really worried about that. <laughs> you see his, uh, his, uh, Garfield, uh, edit strip. No, where it's just, it's just John Arbuckle staring at the computer. He goes homestuck. And then he looks back at Garfield <laughs> smiling and then he turns back final panels and turning back to the screen, just smiling. <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah. Uh, wait, did he put that out like today? No, 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 no. well oh. so so i don't know where he originally posted it but okay. uh i saw someone else oh post it on twitter and yeah. just say like this thing is like 10 times funnier when you know that toby fox made this well also also i was like well did he post it today because tomorrow is homestuck day so that's a thing but, uh. um, yeah I, i'm i promise you i will not go into homestuck on your podcast but it's good and it's also a very good treatise on players and agency oh, um, yeah that's my opinions on Homestuck. Uh, I feel like I'm an old school webcomic guy because I remember taking like a comics, like a uh, like one credit course, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. nine weeks course in college once. And me and me and the professor over here talking about like American Elf and then like half the class is talking about Homestuck. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck are we talking about? It's, yeah, it's because Homestuck is the modern Ulysses. It's wild. Homestuck's <laughs> wild. Um, <laughs> Homestuck's really fucking wild. I say that with almost no irony whatsoever. Like, uh... I pro- okay, I won't. I won't talk about Homestuck on your video game podcast. But, um, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I think that there is an interesting trend of like, I mean, because Toby Fox kind of like came from the Homestuck crew, and I think there's an interesting crop of 
video games that are inspired by these ideas of you know player agency and uh and sentimentality and and like a lot of things that that kind of came from a certain era of like indie game development and also homestuck for lack of a better term um but yeah like you you can't you can't talk about undertale without really understanding like the things that birthed undertale which was a lot of sentimentality and lore building and myth making which is a lot of stuff that that homestuck kind of fucked with as well um and i think the interesting stuff is seeing games that kind of come in the wake of undertale um games that i think were trying to capture a lot of the same things that undertale were like undertale was in many ways an homage to mother right um to 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 mother three and there were a lot of other games that were trying to be an homage to mother three that you know have come out are going to come out did come out and didn't really make a splash i i reviewed uh y2k uh which is it's got a subtitle y2k like oh it's like a postmodern postmodern rpg RPG. yeah and i i i didn't enjoy that game um and a lot of that game felt to me like oh this is shooting for the same um shooting for the same goalpost didn't really make it in the way that undertale did make it uh and i think that that's just really fascinating to me because i think like both of those games are trying to play in this this ballpark of like sentimentality and character writing and, and and like rpgs and like all this stuff and i like that lineage of design but it's also a good example of like well nothing's all great like there's always going to be a couple clunkers that's normal sure um a couple and things. i think uh not to be too slanderous yeah. but i do know other people were kind of referring to y2k as like the incel rpg yeah <laughs> i mean I, I wouldn't go uh I, I i don't like being mean but sure i i definitely feel like y2k in my most leveled viewpoint of it was just like it's very clearly inspired by the creator's actual lives like that's super obvious while playing the game um the problem with it is that it's kind of clear that it'll like if I were to offer a fix to that game, a lot of it would be like, please hire an editor to like look over a lot of this story and like cut down some of the cruft at the beginning where your character is like learning how to not be a shitty person and maybe make that like an hour instead of like 10 hours <laughs> um, because that makes the game really hard to play. Right. Uh I don't know. I I know some people who are like diehard stands for that game who I generally respect their viewpoints. So it was just very interesting to me. Like, whatever, I get it. Like everyone gets everyone has their own opinions. Um, but yeah, Y2K, Y2K is just really interesting to me because I think it is an example of how to take the lessons learned from games like Mother 3 and from Undertale and kind of not really apply them in a way that makes sense mechanically or narratively um and it's a it's a big problem with the game which is a bummer because i don't like games to fail I, i'm not out here to see games well fail, especially you, know? you having been on the dev side yeah some, like you know how much hard work goes into this stuff exactly even, like <laughs> that's always my thing is that, like as much as i didn't like that game and i didn't like that game i'm like i this game was in development for a long time. These people clearly cared about it. And they they, they went through like a bunch of like I think like the the main devs like mother passed away or got yeah, very like, very sick at yeah, some like point. Yeah, like shit shit happened. Like regardless, like even if nothing like really bad happened, that was still like, you know, 4 or 5 years of your life. Like that's 
that's why video games are so weird is because because fucking they take a long ass time to make like uh, granted that game's pretty big it's like 30 hours or something so like yeah whatever it takes a while but um it's uh, yeah i i'm always i am i tend to veer toward the side of siding with devs like you know like maybe like 60 40 out of the time because because i i i don't think that people ever go into making games thinking like i'm gonna make a shitty game <laughs> like no no one says that <laughs> like things happen decisions are made uh, feedback is taken or not taken and things happen like whatever it's i think what's what's more interesting it's it's kind of like just one of the things that just uh initially informed my writing about games was just like i don't want to write about games being good or bad i want to like write about like what they're doing and like how that uh, transmits a message and like we can maybe critique that message but like it's fairly useless to call a game like good or bad because that doesn't really mean anything um uh, the, the problem is like with with you know <laughs> modern society or storytelling well, yeah, or like consumerism is that there's usually heroes and there are usually villains mm-hmm. or in, at the yeah. very least you have to you have to cast people as such exactly which which sucks and like yeah i, I hate doing that <laughs> but but i mean like i think the other part of it is that like again like we said earlier like games games be big like there's there are a lot of good video games that i bet i haven't even heard of <laughs> so i'm always like trying to find those right. um uh and i think that's that's just important like i obviously also think criticism is very important and very necessary but for like my own mental health these days i'm like i just want to find a game that's good man just fucking <laughs> just show me something that's good that i enjoy playing that comes from people who have like a cool idea and i'm into it (laughs) and that's part of my like guiding philosophy with like the hidden gems panel is Mm -hmm. because like yeah you know you you walk around that show floor and it's like okay like there's some stuff in here that's not super strong or you don't feel that great about it and it's not i'm not gonna walk up there and be like here's four games i think are (laughs) shitty and you shouldn't look at shitty games on the show floor packs (laughs) let me tell you about them um because i mean that a it doesn't help the, the attendees coming yeah. to take time to come to the panel it doesn't help the devs because now we're just like lambasting them for no reason yeah, and i mean it would be nice to like take some time and be like all right this game didn't think it was that strong but like let's talk about it but i mean like we have an hour and yeah but like yeah felix took the time to talk about uh after party which mm-hmm. i think is a game both they and i are very excited about because yeah. we both love oxen free but also like is not the strongest floor demo because it's a narrative based game. Yeah. Well, th- yeah. So. And that's, yeah, that's also, that's also a weird thing. That's, that's like a con problem that I'm like super aware of because I, I like making narrative games. I like playing narrative games. They are the worst things to play in a crowded show floor. <laughs> yeah. I remember walking around, I think it was, uh, I think it was one year or two years ago. And I was walking around the show floor. And I was with my buddy and we were walking through Indie Mega Booth, and there's um, one of the corner booths, I believe, is the longest dark was there. Is that the? And you mean the long dark? The long dark, yeah, yeah, yeah. like the the survival, the survival one, yeah, okay, light okay. narrative game. Mm-hmm. And uh, the dev had the corner booth. He put beanbags down the floor, so people kind of like reclined and just kind of mm. like casually guided through it. And I, I'm, I'm just, we're just casually walking through the show floor, and I see it, and I go to my friend. Uh, wow, 
that game must be impossible to demo here. <laughs> and I think the dev heard me and looked at me, and I was just like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I just walked away. I was like, oh, I just, I don't like. Oh. I mean, I bet, I bet he would have agreed with you. <laughs> I mean, like from people I know who demo games like that, like yeah, everyone knows that. <laughs> it's, it's, there's just not a good fix. This is the problem. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. And if if one of these years I end up at one of those panels, I I mean, like that is, I think, it's a skill to be able to like fucking comb through a show floor and like find something worth talking about that you a like haven't heard about. Again, the panel is called Hidden Gems, right? So you can't just be like, here's a game that we all know about that we think is cool. Like we <laughs> well, can't talk about, about Rami Ismail and his uh, <laughs> highlight of yeah. his Combat have you, Seven. Have you heard about these games that have been written up? Everyone, no. Like the whole point is to find something like funny and interesting. I, I these days the way that I do that in a non physical sense is all just like go on itch.io and just fucking hit the random button because i love that itch.io has a random button first of all but also it's a great way to just find like oh i've just i've never heard of this person i've never heard of this game but this page looks interesting (laughs) i'll give it a shot it's free who cares um the the hidden gems panel is very much like a buffet it's like you go into a buffet you're like i'm gonna eat all this food i'm gonna eat all this food i'm gonna sample everything and then you Mm -hmm. get like four items deep and you're like i'm so full well, i can't I'm, do it. i'm good man <laughs> i'm gonna these four things these things are great let me tell you about these things well yeah because i mean i don't know it's packs there's like what like fucking 100 games being shown total there every year yeah it's it's hard <laughs> there's no and way at this point that. i have a list i have like a rolling over list that's like oh didn't get to it that this one gonna be on the next one gonna showcase it there i think that's i think that's probably the smartest way to handle it honestly um uh yeah there there's a lot of video games uh in the world games be big games games be big yeah and a weird thing now is that like now that i'm somewhat a press person i'll like it like press emails for games and like that's also like a weird process of like combing through like is this for me is this not at this point like i only have one like never this one and it's always any game that pitches me with like it's got the blockchain in it and i'm like great cool not for me (laughs) phil Phil, i'm fine it's cool i'm out i'm out also vr is usually a no but that's mostly just because i don't have a vr rig so i can't look at your game sorry um i feel you blockchain really came and went in the course of a year in terms of games well i think it's hilarious because every year at gdc there's always like some new like we'll put blockchain in your game and like they've got some booth on the on one of the halls and i'm just like i don't even know who this is for man like who's doing this who's out here like god if only our game had one more thing in it i wonder if blockchain is the thing i don't even know what that means half the time so whatever it's fine someone needs to start selling like a blockchain battle royale solution that just like you know sockets onto your someone game someone has i don't even know what it would do but someone's done it someone has <laughs> chicken dinner coin chicken dinner coin you get them um, they're unique i don't know there was like a blockchain uh trading card game that happened a while back uh, i heard it was not good because i cannot imagine how it would have been good because you can't balance it so i don't know uh yeah that's that's weird <laughs> yeah I, I never understood that yeah 
well, Dante, um, is there anything else that you want to, you want to, you're itching to talk about? Yeah. I mean, this is kind of a weird note to end on, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, uh, no, I mean, I don't know. Uh, if you want to learn more about me, um, I have a website, uh, it's Dante.cool. Um, I'm on Twitter at video Dante. Generally, if you see the name video Dante, that's me. Um, I make games. I write about games. Uh, I do Deorbital. Please read Deorbital. It's very cool. I'm very happy with all the people that we've got for this quarterly. Um, that's at deorbital.media. It's also a Twitter account at Deorbital. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think I, that was. I don't know what else I, I would really have to promo right now. <laughs> Fair enough. Check out check out your articles. You say you have some write ups up on Polygon and Waypoint. Yes, I do. Uh, yeah, from GDC actually, I wrote about um, unionization and game labor um, over at Waypoint. Uh, that article is called "Unionization Was Center Stage at the 2019 Game Developers Conference." Uh, and then for Polygon, I wrote up uh, some articles on Draw Dog and Dicey Dungeons and a horror game called "Those Who Remain." Uh, so yeah, I also collaborated on a 10 best games of gdc article over at paste um, oh so, cool yeah a lot of a lot of stuff there that was a good example of like comb in the show floor what do i find well, it's fine yeah um uh but yeah i so, kept, I kept, I kept yeah. wanting to play draw dog and there Yo. was again someone just <laughs> hogging that well, terminal because, and i was like let me play draw dog i like straight up i i just like i got like a press appointment to go see draw dog which was basically greg being like do you want to see this video game i made and i'm like yeah i do looks cool <laughs> um, i loved his 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 like little sign he mocked up he yeah. just like slapped it on slapped his over. terminal he's like yep. hey secret game being announced I'm like Can it's you, not wander like, song anymore it's draw dog yeah. <laughs> are you allowed to do like i don't think like totally this are. was supposed to be for one percent are <laughs> it's happened before like i know there were some games in the past where this this has been done um but uh yeah anyway so uh yeah if you want to read my writing it's all up on my website like i have links to everything i've ever written on there but um uh, also just follow me on twitter at video dante and you'll get everything i do just a fire hose of my brain um uh and yeah thanks dylan for having me on this this is really fun i love of talking about video games i'm glad I'd that we to met have you at that again. party <laughs> yeah absolutely uh keep me posted on that um uh but yeah uh thanks for having me thanks for listening everyone yeah, definitely. Um, you can find me at Dylan Vento. And if you want to listen to any of our other podcasts, you can find them at ward-games.com or on Twitter at wardvideogames or just search Wardcast. It'll bring up both this podcast and our new show, Attract Mode, where me and some of my friends are going to watch every single video game movie <laughs> for some reason. Good Because luck. I hate myself. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, Dante, thank you again. And uh, hope to see you soon. Yeah, thanks.